0: Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology
1: on culture.
0: I'm Ted Cover. I'm John Perry. And today we're asking the question, will the future be more or less unequal?
1: You'll see often two competing, you know, utopian and dystopian visions of the future out there. A vision that, you know, maybe the future is super unequal, almost feudal type society where the, you know, the top five, ten, pick your number, percent of people, you know, are almost becoming a different species. And then you see the opposite, you know, where it's this sort of equalization of everything. Um, democratization of creativity is a word you hear, or the rising tide lifts all boats. and Right. Um, so, you know, what is actually going to happen in the future? Do we see it, the trend as being towards greater equality or greater inequality, and um, I mean, my first thought is obviously you might have guessed that's a little bit of a too simple way to look at it because it matters like what are we measuring here, right? What's the, what's the resource that you're talking about? And I think some resources are likely to lead to great inequality and some are likely to maybe lead inevitably to greater equality. But I think that's a property of, of the actual specific resource that you're talking about.
0: Right, right. And I think when people are worried about inequality these days, they're usually worried about uh, monetary inequality. But I think there's a lot of other ways to look at uh, what what you might be uh, unequal uh, with other people in. So it's important to uh, expand that uh, definition and not just talk about whether or not people will have high incomes or high amounts of wealth, but really talk about well, what kind of things will you have access to?
1: Yes, that's a really good point. Because I don't want to just talk about money, even though that's the first thing that pops into your head. I want to Posit sort of an underlying lens for looking at this issue of inequality. And so here's the the principle that I'm proposing, which is if the possession of a particular resource directly increases your ability to gain more of that same resource, then you're going to have inequality. That's because of just the way positive feedback works, right?
0: Right. And this is sort of looking at this inequality question from the lens of almost like game design, right? Like kind of looking at it like if it's a simple system and uh, this, you know, whatever X resource you're talking about allows you to gain more than just the design of that game is that, uh, people with that resource are going to landslide. They're going to get more and more and more.
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, two episodes ago, we talked a lot about games and applying game design theory to social sciences. And this is a little bit of an attempt at that, and that this is a systemic way of looking at this issue, much like a game designer would look at it. Yeah, exactly. You're right. And in in games, this is often called a runaway leader problem, right? Where, you know, if if the resource makes you more of that same resource, then the leader of the game will just solidify their lead and the game will be boring because it will be decided very quickly.
0: (laughs) Right. Because you'll know early on who's going to win, even though the game's not actually over in that sense.
1: So to kind of like put that all together, like uh, money is something that might lead to more money. I mean, the rich get richer. I mean, this is something that people tend to sort of just think offhand, and we can unpack whether or not that's true or not.
0: Right. There's a pretty big debate going on yes. in the United economics world right now about how true that concept is. Does uh, does money actually make more money? I think you know intuitively it does seem that it does. So we don't necessarily need to say more about it than that right now. But uh, obviously, if you've been Following the economic press recently, you've heard uh, quite a lot about that. Uh, right. There's this
1: book by this guy named Piketty. Right. Yeah. That,
0: there's. The, uh, yeah. 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 Which uh, that's like a whole another topic for a whole other podcast, maybe. But um, but I think the point is that it's it's pretty intuitive that if you've got some money, you can invest it in uh, a business or an interest-bearing account or something like that, and you can turn it into more money.
1: Um, yeah, money pretty al- directly. Money allows you to do almost everything in our system, right? It allows you to buy better education and skills for yourself. It allows you to buy access to places and to better connections. It allows you to invest it directly and possibly make more money. So money, uh, we're not going to go into all the economic details, but money is a top of the list as a candidate for something that would naturally possibly lead to inequality through this mechanism of more money making you more money.
0: Right, because it has a high chance of having a positive feedback loop, basically. And uh, the more money you have, you have a reasonably high chance of, of being able to turn that into even more money.
1: But it's, it's not the only thing that has that property, right? So another thing that has that property is fame. And we've talked on this podcast before about the superstar effect. And this is how I would describe the superstar effect works, which is that the more fame you have, the more fame you can acquire. The more people know about you, the more they spread you. Like fame self-perpetuates in that way it's a resource that generates more of itself
0: right and well right and and to the extent that fame is people talking about you when people are listening to you because you're already famous you can get them to talk about you even more so yeah you can see how fame uh is uh self-compounding in that same
1: way and so yeah there's a lot of talk today about these superstar effects just to review that really quickly where in any given field right um whether that's Online. university professor Sure, or, university professors is one where this might start to happen right because to the extent that education is moving online one professor can reach a ton of people and once that one professor does a good job and reaches a ton of people and becomes the known famous professor just like any known famous pop singer sure they can kind of solidify their hold on the market right because right. that fame self-perpetuates and the second best second most famous professor Uh, is going to fall away.
0: Right, right. And these superstar effects are obviously enabled by increasing technological capacity, right? Because the same reason that uh, there's not much point in being like the second best pop singer after Beyonce or something, because everybody can download Beyonce's record, so what use do they have for that second best record is the same now true for uh, Sebastian Thrun or Tyler Cowen or whoever's trying to teach online. If they're the best professor uh, for their... Uh, topic, then there's really no reason for anyone to use the second best since uh, since everyone has access to that digitized educational output.
1: Or another field you could apply this to is uh, online retail. like Amazon, obviously, is the superstar contender in that market. Th- right, they're running right. away with it, basically.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So in that case... Just because everybody knows Amazon's probably going to have what they want, they'll look there first, and then if Amazon does have it, they get the
1: sale, basically. I mean, to the extent that Amazon becomes synonymous in your mind, even with retail, I mean, at this point, I think that's where it's heading. Um, Right, right. um, So yeah, so fame is one, and and I think highly related to that is the idea of user base, right? Which is, these are sometimes called network effects, which is that, for example, Facebook has a huge advantage over other social networks because of its large user base, because a larger user base is a resource that creates a larger user base. Well,
0: especially on a social network like Facebook, uh, the main value of Facebook is your friends are on it. So the more of your friends that are on it, uh, the more of your friends that will go on it, which is uh, exactly the kind of uh, positive feedback loop that we're talking about. Um, And to take it in a little bit more, maybe a future or science fiction direction, uh, another thing that has this kind of high chance of feedback is intelligence itself. Yes. And, of course, you can think about that in in today's terms, like on the order of a... smart person can hire another smart person. You can make a cabal of or smart people. Or even earlier
1: on, like this, uh, you know where it actually happens is I think like in elementary school when the smarter kids get put into the smarter kids class right. and then into the smarter track. Right.
0: right. And then they're learning things that the other kids aren't learning. So now they're really ahead of the other kids. They don't just have maybe a little more natural ability. And the
1: remedial class often never catches up.
0: Right. The remedial class is often, at least in our society, much more about discipline than it is about learning anything. And that
1: can ripple outwards from there, right? You know? Right. I mean, right. Yeah. I
0: mean I, I'm no expert on that. I don't have numbers handy, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least if uh, if that uh, you know had long term effects on the students who who go through there. Uh, but you can think you can easily take this to also like a more science fiction place and say, as we start to uh, get more capital substitution for labor in the realm of intelligence, that is to say, as more and more AI comes online, uh, even narrow AIs uh, of various kinds. Uh, that you're going to be able to use uh, that machine intelligence to gather more machine intelligence. Um,
1: Exactly. So at the moment that, or, you know, we've talked before about theoretical smart drugs that work, right? Sure. Now, uh, it depends, again, how expensive those are, right? But if you have uh, expensive ways to increase your intelligence... then the first people that use those will be better at acquiring more intelligence and and then you could have Well a- they'll be
0: able to use their new intelligence to come up with a cheaper way to acquire yet more intelligence exactly. right uh, or a good way of just acquiring a whole bunch of money and then blowing all that on intelligence, which might be the better strategy too. I mean, uh, these intelligences would be able to to judge that and figure yeah, it out. Intelligence is a
1: tough one because it's hard to imagine. This. You really can't imagine someone smarter than yourself. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is another area where positive feedback loops could drive greater inequality in the future. So that's four things we talked about. We talked about money. Uh, we talked about uh, fame. fame. Uh,
0: Uh, network effects or user base. And also we talked about intelligence. So those four things, money, fame, uh, user base, and and intelligence are all places I think we should expect to see higher inequality in the future, but they're not the only uh, resources out there. So that might sound really dire and dystopian, but I think there's there's some other things to think about here.
1: Um, Well, and just for one moment too, I want to, before we move on, like, I think we're definitely going to see higher, well... (laughs) Definitely. I should never say definitely about the future. But uh, for fame and for user base, right? I think those are... I want to make the point that those are positional goods, right? You just have to have more of that than someone else. Right, right. that will definitely tend towards inequality. Now, money is weird because money only is a means to get other stuff. So if money... it's We've talked about before. Money was less important in the future for some reason, then maybe that would... uh,
0: That might be a defeater of this because um, it would... Reduce people's desire to acquire vast amounts of money if there were fewer things that they could uh, use to to get with it.
1: But then that's less likely to be true of capital, like land and stuff. So you know,
0: right? Well, as long as we continue to have a society that's based on the idea of money being the medium of exchange, I think we're likely to see money uh, fall into this this feedback loop. Now, as many people have talked about, money is societally overdetermined. So we could fix inequality in money with say, taxes, for example. There's other ways to, sure. or, to fix inequality of money, even if it's true that it naturally tends toward that because we have a society and we can choose to do things like that. That's a much bigger debate and it's a much larger question as to whether we should do that. I'm not going to weigh in on that at the moment. But, uh, you know, I think it's, it's fair to say that uh, it, money does seem to be one of these things that allows you to acquire more of it and therefore it's reasonable that it might become more uh, more unequal. Uh, as time it, goes
1: on. It definitely makes the list. Now, conversely, there are other resources that we expect will become more and more equal. And that's partly because maybe there is no positive feedback at work. And it's partly because of another effect that's really important uh, that can even mitigate against a positive feedback loop, which is the idea of a cap or diminishing returns um, coming from that resource. So right, an easy example is food. Now, I don't know that food necessarily has the potential for a positive feedback loop anyways, but to the certain extent that, you know, if I you don't have access to food, then well, I you're going to Well,
0: we're star- well past the, uh, yeah. yeah, that point in the developed world. Like the idea that, of course, if you're starving to death, it's very hard for you to grow food. Yes. So, so if someone gives you a little bit of food that allows you so to plant, loop
1: plant, plant food for next year. Yeah. But I think, you know,
0: uh, above the uh, subsistence farming, we're basically over that. Hump.
1: Yeah, I guess in the past there was positive feedback for food. Definitely. Sure. I think if you go far enough back to where sure. people were really scrounging, like, yeah, the people, the tribes that could like find you want- more food would grow more food. In. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. At that point, And even as late as say like golden corn coming out in like whatever the 60s or yeah. 70s, whenever that was, you know, uh, took a whole bunch of people who are had uh, deficiencies in various vitamins and cured that for them by, you know, introducing a kind of food that didn't exist before.
1: But the reason that hasn't perpetuated is because we, we're hitting the cap.
0: Yeah, well, we're coming up against uh, diminishing returns for food because A, there's only so many hamburgers you can eat in a day, and B, it's relatively difficult to store food for a long period of time. So uh, there's really no point in stockpiling much of it either.
1: So, so food is something that we've actually seen become more equal with time. And I think we'll probably only become more equal because we're hitting the ceiling. And so, uh, you know, rich people don't necessarily have the opportunity in the far future, the way I say it, to eat that much better than poor people.
0: Right. Or any really much better than they do now. Uh, But uh, on the other hand, there still are, say, starving people in the world who could be lifted out of starvation. By increased uh, gains in in food production. Right
1: now, if we invented new taste buds with new flavors, I mean, maybe you could right raise genetic that engineering a bit.
0: might be able to change that a little bit. But I think we're we're uh, you know assuming that we don't change the fundamental structure of the human body, we're pretty close to our limits on usefulness of food.
1: Yeah, another uh, resource that uh, might be trending more towards equality because of this mitigating factor of diminishing returns is access to creativity tools. I mean, this is something when people do talk about ways in which society seems to be getting more equal, um, democratization of tools of creativity is something that people bring up a lot. And I do think that that feels like a real trend. And I think the reason is because while computing power continues to grow, the number of things we can think of to do with that computing power creatively is not necessarily increasing. In fact, I think we're kind of hitting the ceiling on that.
0: Right, or it's maybe increasing at a slow rate, but not nearly the rate that computing is. Uh, we're, we're pretty close to a, a cap on on those things. I mean, there's
1: consumer software that can you know do fantastic audio production now for relatively cheap. There's consumer software that can do fantastic graphic design now for pretty cheap. Sure, 3D uh, modeling, programming. video, uh, game Uh, design, et cetera, et cetera. I think in some cases, there's room to improve. Like, I think if you want to make a movie, uh, it's still expensive because of the people involved. But even that, as we, you know, move towards, you know, 3D modeled people that you can make in the box and 3D environments. right?
0: Things like the uh, uh, Steam Filmmaker are starting to erode that advantage. Yeah, it's it seems clear that uh, as it becomes cheaper and cheaper to provide creativity tools, and as generally speaking, uh, a human person can only spend so much time being creative in a day, uh, and they can only do so many different kinds of creative things because we only have, you know, five senses and a brain, so there's only so much we can appreciate – we're starting to get some d- diminishing returns on creativity tools, which is why you see them getting cheaper and more ubiquitous.
1: Right, and this is this is not a bad thing. This is obviously a fantastic thing, because what this means is more equality across the globe in terms of what people can create.
0: Sure, and another thing that we have uh, the same sort of situation with, and it's also driven by progress in computing, is communication. So uh, there's a lot of different ways you can communicate with people through text, through video, through audio, through various uh, other kinds of media. And increasingly, you have access to all those things and one or two relatively accessible devices. And once you get access to all those things, you're kind of done. I mean, uh, again, in the future, we might have a possibility for mind melding or some advanced communication that I can't think of right now. Um, but uh, for now, all the communication that we pretty much know about uh, that's possible for for today's humans is is doable through very accessible uh, devices.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can see what the theoretical ceiling is, which is at the moment that you can uh, instantaneously reach just about everybody on the planet with text, voice, or audio, uh, we've pretty much maxed out on communication other than creating brand new communication mediums. and And so it does feel like, yeah, we're reaching communications equality. Not because the, the, the communication ability doesn't grow, not because there's not positive feedback loops at work there, but because we're actually hitting a cap um, or a ceiling on that particular resource. So uh, we've gone through and we've talked about four resources with a high chance of continued feedback in the future, which are money, fame, user base, and intelligence. And we've talked about three resources that we feel like are trending towards greater equality because they're hitting the ceiling, which are food, access to creativity tools, and communication. And now we want to talk about some of the sort of border areas where... Yeah, it's not as clear what's going to happen. Yeah. And I think that honestly, there's really major, one major one that I want to talk about the most, which is health, right? Right. And so, again, this is a positive feedback loop historically, because the healthier you are... Uh, the more you can go out in the world and acquire other resources and stay healthy. Right now, I've inevitably, right. like we're all aging, but I mean, aside from that fact.
0: Right. Well, in, in, in the recent past, the only real ways to stay healthy have been to uh, eat decent food and exercise. And right. both of those things are a lot easier to do when you're in good health. So if you have uh, health, you can obtain more of it. And uh, if you're in bad health, then you're made to stay in bed. Uh, you'll deteriorate
1: even faster. So like in a lot of parts of the world now, we're kind of already at that ceiling point, right? In the sense that, you know...
0: And uh, yeah, using the previous, you know, uh, technological knowledge that our species had, I think we're basically at the edge where uh, these days, there's obviously been a big debate on this uh, recently when we uh, changed our healthcare laws in this country. End of life care, for example, is very expensive, but it doesn't do a whole lot to extend either your life or your health span. Uh, these days. Um, it's it's pretty ineffectual. Uh, and so you, it is sort of capped at, at its usefulness.
1: Well, and I think cost and debt and all these things aside, um, you know, unless you need a really specialized procedure from something that's a machine that, you know, only exists in a couple of doctor's offices on the planet or something, um, a rich person, you know, up against you know today's worst illnesses, it's right. not that much. It's better It's actually off. not
0: that much better off, right? They might have some more comfort, but they're not at the end of the day going to have access to, say, life saving technologies that uh, poor people don't have access to uh, in most countries in the world under the systems that are currently in
1: place. And we're talking about you know generally more developed places in general here, but I you know the point is that we are while it's not worldwide, we are in the process of hitting a limit there. Or we're not, right? Because there's possible health breakthroughs that are around the corner. We just haven't had them yet.
0: Right. Well, and it's, yeah. And there are a lot of um, health uh, technology advances that have happened recently that haven't been translated into direct clinical results at this time, but that uh, may in the future, uh, not maybe not even that far off future, start to allow some... New technologies that uh, will actually radically extend uh, life, or at least, or radically defeat diseases that are currently non-defeatable. So that's something that could potentially change in the near future.
1: Yeah, I mean, if if radical life extension um, and other treatments that can um, you know either stop the most serious diseases or uh, extend lifespans uh, come online, they could really raise the ceiling back up, right? to where there's a lot more room for disparities, right? And at that point, uh, you could see a growth in inequality in terms of health outcomes.
0: Right. The worst possible outcome for this is new technologies come online, which are expensive uh, when they come out, and which buy the very rich who uh, who need them more healthy time to then wait for new, better breakthroughs to come through, uh, while poorer people who can't afford the intermediate breakthroughs uh, just die, waiting, and so then there becomes an extreme inequality uh, of life <laughs> uh, where rich people have it, and poor people don 't and that 's very uh, obviously that 's unfixable because if you die you 're dead.
1: Well, and also like the the point again that, you know, the healthier you are, the more you're going to go out there and make the money to pay for these expensive treatments. So again, your greater sure. health is breeding greater health in that sure. sense.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, assuming this is all uh, mediated through money in the same way, then yeah, then that, that continues. If the new technologies that come online that increase people's health are not broadly accessible due to a policy decision to basically, you know, through insurance or socialized uh, procurement, give that opportunity to everyone, whether they can afford it or not, uh, then we'll definitely see health get more I- unequal in the future when these types of uh, breakthroughs occur.
1: Well, and it has so much to do with cost. I mean, right? I mean, just to, I'm, this is going to be sort of an overly simplified example, right? But, you know, if if rejuvenation treatments that kind of like, you know, de-age your cells come out, right? You can imagine that being like, An expensive treatment where you go to a doctor's office who uses specialized equipment and you have to stay there for a couple days, right? And that's going to be very expensive and that's going to be something that wealthier people can afford that's not going to be distributed super equally, at least at first. But you could also imagine that the requisite breakthrough is just some sort of pill you can take that can be 3D printed at home and that's going to have a much more equal distribution. Right, or so- an
0: injection of a small amount of self-replicating nanocytes that you uh, that then you know recreate themselves in your body and do all the genetic reprogramming that you need done uh, over the course of some period of time. Which, in that case, maybe we can just sort of buy that in bulk and give it to everyone. Um, either the insurance company does that or the government does or, or whatever. Uh, but uh, it's not clear what kind of Uh, breakthroughs we're going to have and whether they're going to be expensive or cheap, uh, really, to to administer. We don't know yet.
1: So healthcare, more equal or less, we're not really sure on that one. Um, Another one that's sort of fun to talk about, I think is is less of a big deal directly than healthcare, um, and comes from just sort of thinking about what other things have positive feedback loops, uh, is, you know... 3D printing or molecular manufacturing on the higher end of that or, Mm -hmm. you know, eventually maybe full-blown nanotechnology, the type that uh, Eric Drexler talks about. Right. I mean, obviously, let's just talk about a 3D printer. If you can buy a 3D printer that can 3D print more 3D printers, which is something that I know people are working on. Right, right. um, That's a type of positive feedback loop, right? Right.
0: Very clearly, if you can print out uh, a replacement printer for your printer, then uh, you never have to worry about it uh, breaking down or depreciating and you can... Uh, grow your own operation organically with your own without any additional fixed cost.
1: So let's say like 3D printers, I think we tend to think of, um, I I don't know, there's a lot of buzz right now about consumer 3D printers, but obviously most of the 3D printing gets done at the business level. um, And I know that there's attempts to sort of automate, say, I don't know, printing is even the right word, but automate sort of the creation of buildings, right? So you might imagine a very expensive set of machinery, Right, that can automate the creation of a building, but they can also print more of its own, se- more machinery. Right. right, that's similar. Right, so if you buy this or build this first, right? I mean, probably uh, no company would have this model where they'd sell this to you because they'd be selling you something that they could never sell you again. Right. So if you if you develop this in house well, as a construction, maybe
0: one very smart company would have that model and would sell it eat once. the lunch of all the other companies trying to sell this stuff.
1: Yeah, puts them true. all
0: under. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like the logical way to do it. Um, it seems like uh, maybe something that somebody would hack something to do. If it's a big enough and complicated enough machine that it can build a house, uh, then maybe you can just write a program that uses it to build another house building machine in, in parts. And uh, that idea is obviously very powerful. That is a very real uh, positive feedback loop, and you could imagine an extremely rapid uh, takeoff for somebody who uh, just, you know, buys one of those and uses it to do nothing but increase their stock of house-building robots until they have such a large stock of house-building robots that they can uh, easily compete with, you know, anybody who's purchased uh, house-building robots from someone else.
1: Right, and and at that level, there still might be enough just friction in the world in terms of the. Expensive parts you, you might have to buy. But eventually, if you get to the point where it's full on nanotechnology, then the friction starts to go away. Right. And you right. really have these totally Well, you still have the like, uh, yeah. you know,
0: per unit cost of the uh, printed printer to take into consideration. Because if these future 3D printers are anything like current 3D printers, it'll be a lot cheaper to make uh, the 3D printer in a factory than to make it with the 3D printer, though it will be possible. So the economics might not actually work out, depending on the materials used and the specifics of it. But it's a possibility that you could have this also spiraling off into a more unequal uh, place by uh, by means of self-replication.
1: Right. So if we think about the more the more advanced technologies, right, like the nanotechnology stuff, mm-hmm. um, where let's say the the raw materials are so cheap, right, because the raw materials maybe just like it needs a source of carbon, right. So you feed it trash, and it builds you what you want. Um, sure. That's going to be very expensive, probably, or possibly, at first, um, and if one business or one wealthy household buys that uh, and they can print more of those same devices, they're going to very quickly have everything that they need, especially if it's at the level that they can turn you know, something as cheap as trash into what they want. Sure. So that that could create like a, uh, a sort of a spiraling feedback loop. Again, that's maybe a little more far-fetched, and, and that's why we put this at the end as sort of the more like fun, future stuff. But I think um, it's something to think about. So yeah, I mean, I think this is more of a framework for looking at this issue. So
0: yeah, as we think about the future, we can definitely say that some things are bound to be more unequal, and other things are bound to be less unequal. And I think when we think about inequality uh, going forward, something that's really important to make as a sort of value judgment or distinction is how important is inequality versus, say, other concepts that are related to inequality but are different, such as mobility or suffering, you know? And uh, these things, we may see tremendous inequality in terms of, say, fame uh, in the future, But if everybody can get enough to eat and nobody is starving to death, then the fact that some people are very famous while virtually everyone else has no fame at all doesn't sound like a problem. Now, if you change out fame for money, that might also all of a sudden start to feel somehow unfair or wrong to you. I think that's interesting and worth thinking about, you know?
1: Right. I mean, I think we bring a lot of biases to bear as human beings in terms of, I mean, I mean, even the concept of fairness is kind of hard to unpack. Like, what do we perceive as unfair versus what do we accept uh, just naturally as being fine? So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to deal with there. And and we're not really trying to go into that direction here. I think just putting forth that this basic property of a resource um, that creates positive feedback is really where the inequality comes from. So the extent that you do want to mitigate inequality because there's some perceived unfairness, I think you have to attack the positive feedback loop. That's the... I think that's the location you would deal with.
0: Or you have to accept that it exists and put some countermeasure in place, such as a redistributive countermeasure, you know, or an enforced cap of some kind. Um, Right. But, uh, yeah, that makes sense. It seems like if we accept that the idea that inequality comes from these resources that naturally propagate themselves... Uh, then obviously when we want to, when we decide we want to fight inequality in any of those resources, that's what we would do is we would try to make them stop propagating themselves or we would tax the results of them propagating themselves
1: in some way. Well, and you know, when we, when we tax the rich, or when we have antitrust laws or when we provide free education to poor people. I mean, these are all sort of versions of this, right? Where you're trying to deal with the effects of a positive feedback loop. So uh, it's a way to think about things and uh, I think we'll leave it off there, right?
0: Yeah, uh, that's the the podcast for today. Thanks for listening. And please uh, leave us a comment on iTunes or on our uh, website at reviewthefuture.com. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit ReviewTheFuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at ReviewTheFuture.com. Thanks for listening.